Amen. Good morning. Welcome, church. Will you stand with us here in the room? Welcome online. Join us in worshiping King Jesus. Let's proclaim our story, our salvation story this morning and testify of who we are in Christ. Let's sing. I saw Satan fall like lightning And I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven And I believe in signs and wonders And I have resurrection power Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven My praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony The strings rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony, this is my testimony. Come together, sons and daughters, and but with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father, our God what he started our God will finish what he started oh, this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story and I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony If I'm not dead, you're not done And greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done And you're not done Greater things are still to come my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story and I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony oh I'm alive this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story and I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Yeah. 
he is a good God. So we worship him for all he's done, for all he is. He is worthy of our praise. So let's lift our voices to a God who loves us. We sing this out. There's a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear worship, he hears faith.
Sing his praise aloud. Sing his praise aloud. And church, you may have a seat. As we continue to ask the Holy Spirit of God to awaken our souls to his work among us. Hear these words from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Acts 2, verses 1 to 4 continues the story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Church, historically, as we celebrate, as, as we have celebrated uh, Christmas and Advent season, um, and as we have celebrated uh, Christmas and Easter, 50 days after Easter Sunday, the church has celebrated what is called Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is when we remember when the church was born, when the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son and was given permanently to each believer. It is when the church of Jesus Christ was born and we see immediately as the work of the Holy Spirit uh, was started bearing fruit and thousands came to Christ by the witness of the apostles in the early church. He is our comforter. He is the advocate. He is our keeper. He is our sanctifier. He is the one who empowers us with the power of God to be witnesses, like we just read, of the good news of the gospel to the whole world. But that is not just a chapter in a history book about the past. Look around you today here in West Chicago at Wheaton Bible Church. Look around you. That same spirit that was given to the church back then is the spirit that dwells in each and every one of us who believe and he is here right now building the kingdom of God among us. He is here among us. And he is in you. And he is power, power, so that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So with that in mind, we celebrate today the birth of the church and the continuation of God's work through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him, amen? We need the Holy Spirit. And so now I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and read the last portion together of Acts 2. And let this remind us of who we are as a church and what we do by the power of the Spirit. Let's read together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common.
They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We love you, Holy Spirit. Let's sing to him. Spirit, lead 
church family. Hello, church family. <laughs> my name is Renita Gilliland, and I'm a member of the Kids Life staff. It's my joy to lead us in celebrating believers' baptism today. In the Great Commission that Jesus gave his followers, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In response to Jesus' instructions, we practice the baptism of believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. According to the scriptures, baptism does not save us or contribute in any way to our salvation. It's an act of joyful obedience to the Lord that symbolizes our death to our old life and our resurrection into a new life in Christ. This morning we're celebrating eight baptisms in this worship service. My hope for you is that the testimony of our friends being baptized this morning will remind you of the truth and hope of the gospel, that Jesus has the power to rescue and restore us. This is Knox Lucher. Knox is seven years old. I've known him since he was in kindergarten. And he has a very sweet heart, and he has decided he wants to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. So, Knox, I'm going to ask you, do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, Knox, as a result of that confession, we're able to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Dad Scott is here to help baptize his son. Here we go. Libby Mitchell. Dad Brad is here to help baptize her. I've also known Libby since she was in kindergarten. And come on up. Stand up. Stand up. There you go. And this is what mom and dad have to say about Libby. God has blessed Libby with a very caring heart. She regularly prays for people in the hospital, people in jail, and those that are poor. She also wants everyone to know about Jesus, so much so that she had to buy a Bible for a neighbor because they didn't have one to learn about God. Libby wants to share her favorite Bible verse with you, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, Libby, do you confess that Jesus is your yes. Lord and Savior? <laughs> She's been wanting to get baptized since she was five. <laughs> okay, because of that confession, we're able to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Well, good morning, church family. My name is Mike Herrera. I'm our junior high pastor here at the West Chicago campus. I want to introduce you to Tyler Short. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to know him a little bit over the last month. Um, and, and Tyler, I just have loved to see your heart for God, um, your love to dig in and own your faith and, and to continue to grow in that. Um, Tyler, is it your testimony that you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes. All right, that's awesome. It is my joy and my honor to be able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. church. I'm Bill Oberlin, pastor of Global Outreach. Many of you know that in addition to our Spanish services, our congregation also includes multiple ethnic fellowships that worship in our facility in a variety of languages. One of those is our French-African community. Here with me this morning is Kaniki Muteba, the shepherd and teacher of our French African community. And today uh, we get to celebrate the baptism of four Congolese members of our French African fellowship. Uh, Donatian, would you introduce yourself to our church family? Yes. Yes, I do. My name is Donatian. I have 20 years. I want to be baptized because God uh, save me. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Upon your confession of faith, we, are baptized, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jetro, uh, Jetro, would you introduce yourself to our church family? Yes, I'm Jetro. I'm 20 years old, and I would like to be baptized because Jesus loves me. Jetro, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Yes, I do. Upon your confession of faith. We baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also being baptized is Jethro's sister, Jordani. Uh, Jordani, would you introduce yourself to our church family? Yeah. My name is Jordan. I want to do baptize because I love God. Mm. 
Jordani, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Upon your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Also joining uh, this morning is their little sister, Lejoie. Lejoie, would you introduce yourself to our church family? My name is Lejoie. I'm 12 years old. I like to baptize because, because I, I like to, because I like to. Lejoie, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? Yes, I do. Upon your confession of faith, Kaniki and I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to mention that uh, if there are any of you in the congregation that want to take the step of baptism, we'll be having our next service on July 25th, and we invite you to, to sign up uh, to be baptized on July 25th. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, this Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the giving of your Holy Spirit to all disciples. We also recall the proclamation of your greatness in a host of languages, proclaiming your will to bless all the families of the earth, to redeem and reconcile and restore men and women and boys and girls of all nations to yourself in Christ. Lord, we give you all praise this morning as you are growing your global church and as you are enlarging and enriching your church family here at WBC. In Jesus' almighty name, amen. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is John Walker, one of your elders. Boy, don't you love these baptism services? <clears throat> well, uh, one week ago, we had a special congregational meeting. And for those of you who were there, I trust that you would agree with me that it was a wonderful time together. At that meeting, our members voted overwhelmingly to call Hannibal Rodriguez as our next senior pastor. <laughs> Hannibal will serve as our eighth senior pastor, or the eighth senior pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. So this culminates a long journey, and we'd like to extend our, our appreciation to the search committee, to the guiding coalition, and to the elders for all of the prayer and work that they have invested in this process. 
Hannibal will begin to serve as senior pastor on August 2nd. <clears throat> He'll be working with Pastor Rob and the elders to transition out of his current role of executive pastor of preaching and to that of senior pastor. Now, one night last week, the elders were sitting around a table talking with Hannibal. Pastor Rob was there. And what were we were discussing was this question. What is the number one thing? What is the pre preeminent issue for Wheaton Bible Church as we move forward? And the answer that we came to was that Jesus Christ and his word would be number one in our hearts and in our minds. <clears throat> and we believe that we can best express that by being a gospel-centered church. You know, our ministry strategy is actually kind of complex. There are so many things that we hope to achieve. And yes, <clears throat> we want to be sensitive to the needs of the community that the Lord has put us in and to help meet those needs. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yes, we want to be a positive agent to bring about all forms of reconciliation, but it's because of the gospel that we do these things. It's the power of the gospel that allows us to do them well, and it is the power of the gospel <clears throat> that will help us to do them more and more. And the reason I bring this up is that I'm absolutely convinced in my own mind that no one believes this more strongly or more completely than Hannibal Rodriguez. So let us dedicate ourselves to support Hannibal and Heidi in every possible way and especially in prayer. Now, Pastor Rob will be serving through the end of September and then he will retire. We'll celebrate Rob and Rhonda's ministry together on September 19th. Much of their family will be traveling in to be with us and it uh, promises to be a very special day. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the provisions that you've given Wheaton Bible Church in the past, in the present, and in the future. Thank you, Lord, for the unity that we have been able to experience. We pray that you would be pleased with us as we endeavor to put you and your word first in our hearts and in our minds. Please be with Hannibal and Heidi and give them your wisdom and your grace and please bless the preaching of your word this morning. Amen. All right. Thank you, John. Good morning, familia. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah. For those of you who uh, maybe missed it, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And um, I want to welcome you again, whether you're here physically present or if you're worshiping with us online. It's always such a blessing that we get to spend some time together. Amen? Amen? For the last few weeks, we have been doing this series called Loved and Filtered, in which we are looking into this section of the scripture, uh, a very famous section of the scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Can, can we get rid of that noise? <laughs> um, 
which is a, which is a famous chapter because it's usually the chapter that is used in weddings and uh, special celebrations that have to do with romanticism and it has to do with things like that. And even though it's a good chapter to talk about that, it's a good chapter to talk about love and marriage and things like that, if you were with us before, you probably remember that Rob said that um, the original context of that chapter was not for... Uh, for people to feel loved or to feel butterflies when you read this text or to do anything like that. Actually, the primary reason why 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was written was to correct this church that happened to have all kinds of talents, all kinds of successful, all kinds of spiritual gifts, but they had a really hard time loving one another. Now, the reason why we chose this series is not so much because we feel that as a church we struggle with this, but because we feel that there's always room for us to grow. There's always room for us to grow in this understanding of what it means to love one another. We too believe that we are a church full of people that has tons of talents. We have people that have been and is super successful, and we have a group of people that has all kinds of spiritual gifts. But we also know that it's so annoying. Fixed it. <laughs> you guys owe me money back there. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, there's always room for us to grow, right? I think that we are a loving congregation, and yet we need to learn how to love more and more. That's what we're going through this series. And what we're going to do today is we're going to read the entire section, at least the, the primary part of that section, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to be focusing on today. So can you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be reading from verses 4 all the way to verse 8, the first part of verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, from verses 4 to 8. If you're still here with me, could you please say, I'm here. This is what the Bible says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Let's read that last sentence together. Love never fails. Lord, as we are being reminded today, or we were reminded today that today is a Pentecost celebration, we remember, Lord, once again, that nothing in this life, in the spiritual life, could be, become a reality unless the Holy Spirit make it happen. Therefore, Lord, we pray for the presence and the ministry of the Spirit Holy Spirit, we ask that you illuminate our eyes so we could see, illuminate our minds so we could understand, illuminate our hearts so we could believe. Please help us as we open up a scripture and we talk about this very, very important topic. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, Amen. you may take a seat. Today, we're going to be focusing on this little phrase right here, love does not boast and love is not proud. And I'm going to put everything, and the, uh, everything about this sentence or these sentences under one concept, the concept of pride. 
And the reason why uh, we want to talk about this is because there's nothing that is more damaging to a community than pride. So we want to talk about three things today. We want to see pride as a good desire gone wrong, as a wrong desire becoming disruptive, and as a desire in need of a stronger desire in order to be eliminated. A good desire gone wrong, a wrong desire becoming disruptive, a desire in need of a stronger desire. Let's go with the first point, a good desire gone wrong. I think it's important that when we talk about pride, we first recognize that the reason why we all, can we say all? all? Part of the reason why we all struggle with pride is because by nature, we all want to feel important. We all want to know that we are worthy. We all want to know that we are somebody. And we all want to have certain of, certain, uh, a sense of significance. Let me say that again. Part of the reason why we all struggle with pride is because we all want to feel important, worthy, that we are somebody and we have significance. This is the reason why I call this a good desire gone wrong. If you remember, Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 says that when God designed us as human beings, he crowned us with glory and honor. One of my professors would always say that God makes no garbage. So when we talk about humanity, we all know that God created us in such a way that we were crowned with glory and honor. The problem, though, is that even though God designed us that way, when sin entered the world, instead of us finding our value and significance and worth in who we were created to be, we started to live our lives in a different way. We started to see ourselves in a different way. We started to see others in a different way. We changed our behavior. And now, instead of trusting who we, we were already in, uh, to God in Jesus, now we try to form this identity or word apart from God, walking away from our original design. Since the moment uh, sin entered the world, we became a humanity that is unstoppable, never-ending, searching for value, dignity, and worth apart from God. That's our problem. And this is the reason why I think that we all struggle with this. All right, because this is family, let me just ask. How many of you guys struggle with pride? Just raise your hand. All right, so half of the congregation, you guys need Jesus. <laughs> and the other half, we're praying for you. This is why pride is such a big issue, you know? Because if we don't have these things that we're looking for, then we, by nature, will become self-centered, self-concerned, self-absorption, narcissism. And we have this inordinate self-love, meaning that our problem is not that we don't love ourselves. The problem is that we love ourselves too much. Listen. The problem is not that we love ourselves. The Bible calls you to love yourself. The problem is that we love ourselves too much. That's exactly what's happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is what Paul, this is the reason why Paul is, is, is confronting this church. 
they struggle with pride to the point that they couldn't do community. They couldn't love one another. It's interesting that the word that Paul uses here to talk about pride, it appears seven times in the New Testament. And out of those seven times, six times you find in this letter. This is how we know that this was their primary issue. They were being controlled by their pride in such a way that they couldn't love one another. And this is the reason why Paul uses these two words, boast and proud. And this is the reason why I think that these two concepts should always be together. I'll put it this way. Proud people boast and boastful people are proud. Proud people boast and boastful people are proud. How do I know that? Well, the word boast in the original can be translated as bragging, vainglory, or the praise of oneself. So it paints a picture of a person that would do anything and everything to be noticed and recognized by everybody else. And the greatest fear of a person that likes to boast is to go unnoticed, is to, go in, is to be ignored, or is to not be taken into consideration. And I believe that all of us in here suffer with that. And I believe that every single one of us Somehow, we hate being ignored. And the second word, the word pride, can actually be translated as puffed or elevated or inflated. And it tells you that the reason why we boast is because we want to be inflated, because we want to be elevated, because we want to be noticed. I love the way this scholar translates or explains what pride is. This is what he says. Pride is thinking much about oneself and thinking much about oneself. is when we have this crazy obsession with ourselves. We think about ourselves. We talk about ourselves. We boast about ourselves. We use social media to brag about ourselves. We tell people about ourselves. We buy food so people see us eating things so they would say something about ourselves. <laughs> it's this crazy obsession. Now, I'm almost sure that everyone in this room struggles with a different way of pride. And I'm going to give you four. And out of these four, I actually found two in me this week. And because I have been suffering, you're going to suffer with me. There are four evidences of pride. Let's see which one of these actually fit you. Some of us struggle with self-promotion. We could stop there. Some of us struggle with self-pity. This is new. Some of us struggle with self-righteousness. And some of us struggle with self-sufficiency. Self-promotion, self-pity, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. Let me explain each one of these really quick. Pride as a way of self-promotion. I think that I explained this, but this is part of the reason why we boast. 
Because when we boast, we are trying to bring attention to ourselves so people elevate us, so we are promoted by the things we do. I'm going to use a term that the younger crowd use, and it's the term to flex. <laughs> Boasting is to flex your titles. Boasting is flexing your accomplishment. Boasting is flexing your home, is flexing your family, is flexing your body, is flexing whatever you have and anything that you have accomplished so other people would say, wow, that was awesome. I want to argue that this is the primary way how we use social media. It's just boasting. It's wanting to be promoted somehow by somebody. And Paul says, that's pride. Interesting that our culture says the opposite, you know? The most successful people are the ones that promote this, themselves the most. Pride, number two, as self-pity. And this one is interesting because not a lot of people think in those terms when we talk about pride. And actually, this is not my idea. I'm borrowing this idea by John Piper in his book, Future Grace. But this is, this is his argument. He says if boast, boastful people are trying to do something to be recognized and promoted, right? Self-pity people are using a different argument, but their heart is the same. They want to be noticed. They want to be appreciated. They want someone to pay attention to them. This is what he says. Boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I have achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego, and the desire of self-pity is not really for others to see them as helpless, but heroes. Let me translate it. If in the midst of my suffering and my struggle, I say, look at me. Look at how I'm still walking in faith. The glory is not for God. It's because deep down inside, I want people to say, wow, Hannibal, what a faith. Maybe, 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 just maybe. Some of us struggle with pride as self-pity. Number three, pride as self-righteousness. And I actually think that this one is very common. It's when you are so obsessed with yourself that you actually think that you are morally superior to other people. And we are so quick to see the deficiencies in other people that we are super slow to see the deficiencies in our own heart. Wasn't that the case of the Pharisees in, uh, in the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18? Here we have a religious person says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. 
God, I thank you that I'm not like Rob. God, I thank you that I'm not like Jonathan. God, I thank you that I'm not to whoever, whatever. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, and a tax collector. You see, he was quick to notice somebody else's sin. He could not see the pride in his heart. So let me pose a question to you, church. Do you feel that there's a category of people that are inferior to you spiritually? And if there's a group of people, that's your pride. Why? Because the Bible says that we, are, we were all dead in our sin. All dead in our sin. And that every single one of us have been saved by grace. By grace alone. No one here is, is morally superior to anybody. And from God's perspective, not even as Christians, we are morally superior to anybody outside the faith. Because the only reason why we're here is because we were saved by grace alone. Number four, pride as self-sufficient. I actually think that this is the most dangerous one. Because pride tells you that you don't need anybody, that you can do it by yourself. And deep down inside, even if you're a Christian, you believe that you don't need God. I can do it myself. You know how I know that? You, you just need one assessment. One assessment. Check your prayer life. Just pay attention to your prayer life. And that should tell you a lot about how much we trust ourselves. There has been a number of weekends and weeks in which I'm preparing for a sermon and I'm doing my reading and I'm studying and I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. But the most important thing that I must do, I forget. Pray. You, you know how arrogant it is for a preacher to come to preach without the unction and the presence of the Spirit. And to trust my skills in communicating a message without the assistance of the Spirit. If the Spirit is not doing anything today, these are just words. And something tells me that many of us struggle like that. Listen to what this scholar said. Pride is the in the religious sense is an arrogant refuse, refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, independent, reliant, and no one's, and one's own resources. Pride is the grand illusion, the fantasy of fantasies, the cosmic put on. Someone has called this a spiritual plagiarism. It's when we think that we can do without God, and we take what God has given us and use it like if we didn't need him. 
That might be the reason why 1 Peter chapter 5, which is another section that talks about pride, that might be the reason why Peter says something that we should pay attention to. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. The word oppose is a very strong word in the original. It's not saying that God does not like your pride, that God doesn't like my pride. He's not saying that God is bothered by your pride or bothered by my pride. What the Bible says is that God opposes my pride. And the, the word in the original carries this idea of he aggressively rejects our pride. This is not just one of those things that we can ignore, you know? God opposes it because he's toxic and destructive. Actually, Paul, uh, Peter argues that this might be the devil's favorite sin. In the context of this passage, he says this in verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I find this passage super interesting because sometimes we see the devil in all places. And we're trying to scare the devil from all places. But the place in which the devil works the most is in here. You know what he does? I love the image of Peter 5.8. Because it's not this image of this cartoonish image of the devil in which he's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, nothing like that. It's actually more like two. Two. Waiting for your pride to show up and for him to use it. The most destructive thing for community is our pride. And that's what the devil uses the most. This is why church historians have called pride the monster sin. Actually, this is the reason why most historians would say that the six deadly sins the seven deadly sins, they all come from pride. So envy, for example, comes from the pride of self-honor. Anger comes from the pride of self-exaltation or self-righteousness. Lust comes from the pride of self-gratification. Anxiety comes from the pride of self-confidence. Greed comes from the pride of excessive self-love. Self-indulgence comes from the pride of self-satisfaction. Pride is a good desire gone wrong. Terribly wrong. Question. Why would Paul talk about pride when he's wanting this church to learn how to love one another? Point number two. Because this is a wrong desire becoming disruptive. And I'm going to put it super simple. If you really want to love the church... And if you really want to learn how to love other people, pride is your worst enemy. It is simply impossible to love somebody and allow pride to control your heart. Simply impossible. 
Hear me out, church. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that that's the reason why we have issues with other people? Isn't it true that the, that the reason why we are so slow to forgive and slow to forget is because we struggle with pride? Isn't it true that that's the reason why you have not talked to some of your siblings for a while? Isn't that the reason why you come through that door in the church and you live through that door so you can avoid somebody? Isn't that the reason why we don't pursue reconciliation? It is simply impossible to allow pride to control our hearts and to love other people. Boasting and pride do the opposite of love. Boasting and pride has one person in mind, me, myself, and I. Love, on the other hand, is always others-oriented. It puts other people first. That's why you can have these two together. This is the reason why Paul says, love does not boast, and love that is not proud. The opposite of love is pride. The opposite of pride is love. Pride by nature is antisocial. So if you hear you're married, you could never say to your spouse, don't mess with my price, baby. I still love you. Doesn't work that way. Pride by nature is antisocial. This is the struggle that I have with the self-esteem thing. This is the struggle that I have with the secular view of self-esteem. You know, that's, that's a product of modern society. Did you know that? Did you know that historically when someone did something wrong was because they struggle um, because they were being extremely self-centered, historically speaking. Modern society says that the reason why we struggle is because we have low self-esteem. And this is what they tell you. You don't need to worry about what people think of you. Worry about what you think of you. Don't worry about what people need. Care about what you need. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't deal with that low self-esteem. Boost your, your high self-esteem. I've used this example 20,000 times, and I will use it again until this disappears. This is the reason why I have such a hard time when I go to Target and I see these tiny little t-shirts for babies that says, You're awesome! How is that supposed to help that kid? If he grow, he's growing up thinking that he's awesome. You are a superstar. How is that supposed to help that kid? When he realizes that he's not a superstar. David Brook, uh, Brooks, in his book, uh, The Second Mountain, he says something amazing about where we are as a society. He says, for six decades, the worship of self has been the central preoccupation of our culture. Molding the self, investing in the self, expressing the self, capitalism, the meritocracy, and modern social science have normalized selfishness. They have made it seem that the only human motives that are real are the self interested ones. When a whole society is built around the self-preoccupation, its members become separated from one another, divided 
and, and divide it. It is impossible to love someone well if pride is controlling your heart. So how do we kill it? See, the Bible does not call us to tolerate our pride or to pretend that it's not there or just manage it. The Bible calls, it, calls us to kill it. How do we do that? Well, pride is a desire. Let me skip that. Pride is a desire that needs a stronger desire in order to be killed. And this is where Paul is going to help us in the same letter in a different section. Look at Look with me, uh, yeah, look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Look at what Paul is saying. He's talking about the freedom of the gospel. The last phrase right there, the Lord is the one that judges me, is the same word that he uses in the book of Romans to talk about justification. It's the same word that says that because Jesus died, lived, died, and resurrected for me, I am in him. I have been declared righteous and pure and accepted and loved. It is when you are secure in who you are in Jesus, pay attention to the first part of the verses. I don't care what people think of me. I don't even care about what I think of me. That's freedom. Because if you have been justified, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, when God the Father sees you, he sees you as his beloved child because he sees you in Jesus Christ. When the Father sees you, he sees you as someone that God is well pleased with you. When he sees you, he sees you as someone that has been accepted and loved. When he sees you, he sees you in such a way in Jesus Christ that we can say, I have nothing to gain because I got it all in Jesus Christ. I have nothing to lose because everything is secure in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you can actually look at your brothers and sisters and say, I really don't care about what you think of me. I don't even care about what I think of me. What matters is what God thinks of me. And he thinks the world of me in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't need anything from you. I can give myself to you. Now, I don't need to work for anything from you. I can give myself to you. Now I don't need your approval and you forgive me dignity and value and to elevate me because I already have that in Jesus Christ. Now I can give myself to you. See, this is the only way that we're going to be able to learn, one another, learn how to love one another. When we are secure in who we are in Jesus, fully justified people. This is why no human technique really helps anybody to learn how to love other people. Because you can always love somebody to get something in exchange. But Christians, we can love somebody without expecting anything in exchange because we already have it all. Let me close with this. 
if you have a million dollars in the bank? Well, first of all, give you offering. <laughs> if you have a million dollars in the bank, you're really going to be begging from your brother and sister to give you $10? Look at your spiritual bank in Jesus Christ. No one can give you what you already have. Amen? Let's learn how to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful because your Bible confronts us, Lord, and actually shows us the reality of our hearts and how much we struggle with different things and the reason why we struggle with different things. I am grateful, Lord, that you have given us the spirit to show us when we have things in our heart that we have ignored. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that if as a congregation we still are struggling, we pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to you in repentance. Recognizing, Lord, that we're never going to be completely free of our pride. But it doesn't mean that we have to live with it. We don't have to live with it. And we don't have to live by it. Please give us a heart that wants to learn how to love other people and love them well. Please, Lord, show us the picture of what we already have in Jesus Christ in such a way that we don't need anything from anybody else. Please make it happen. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says... Sky is falling down. 
is right here. Love is alive. Love is the way, the truth, the life. Love is a river that flows through. Love is the arms that are holding you. Love is the place you will fly to. Cause love never failed you. Church, let's stand together as we respond to this God of love. He's a good God. Our response today is hallelujah. Claim this church one voice. Great is the Lord God Almighty, worthy of honor and praise. And I stand in awe of His glory, and I stand in need of His grace.
Finishing our service, I have uh, four little, I was going to say cuatro. Four, four quick things for you guys. Number one, I want to uh, invite you to continue to support the church, finan church financially. As you know, the Lord has allowed us to help a lot of people, serve a lot of people, do our services. And it's because of your faithfulness. So please continue to worship the Lord through your offerings. Number two. You have heard us say that for us, prayer is important. We love to pray for you and your needs. So if you have prayer requests for us, please let us know. Send it to us. I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you on Tuesday. Number three, um, our contemporary service, our traditional service is going to have a worship night uh, with hymns and traditional music. That's going to happen tonight at 6. So um, that might not be your worship style, but maybe it becomes your worship style. So I want to ask you to come back at 6 today and not only support our brothers, but worship the Lord together with, our, with the group that usually goes to the traditional service. And number four, well, you know that things continue to change with COVID and things are getting a little better and we trust in the Lord. Well, we have been praying a ton about this. We have been reading left and right, talking to different people about this. And I'm happy to announce that next week, starting, uh, starting next week, May the 30th, uh, we're going to uh, make our services mask optional. The building is going to be mask optional. There's going to be a couple of sections in the sanctuary that is going to be, that, uh, that will be mask required for those of you that need a mask or want to keep your mask on. Um, but I want, you to, I, I want you to trust that the Lord has been guiding the process for us, for us and we, we are doing what we think is best for the church right now. Your kids are going to have to still register for their classes. So if you have little ones, you're still going to have to go through that process. I ask you to please continue to pray for us and continue to pray for the church. Let's see what the Lord does during this season. Amen? Amen. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says... We love you. Have a blessed day. Church, you are sent.